Welcome to the Checkable Health Podcast, where we're helping everyday moms rethink how their healthcare begins at home through healthy living, access to information, and technology. On each episode, we interview healthcare providers and experts on topics that affect us as mothers as we raise our children. We'll cover topics across the spectrum of health to bring awareness of important issues, conditions, therapies, and technology. We believe your healthcare begins at home with us moms. The healthier we are, the healthier our loved ones are. Today, we are talking about the importance of having a family physician, a pediatrician, or a family practice provider. And my guest today is Dr. Kevin Kasich, who's a board-certified pediatrician with Angel Kids Pediatrics in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Kasich, thank you so much for joining me. Hi there. Thank you for that kind introduction. I am a pediatrician here with Angel Kids Pediatrics. I've been practicing now for over 22 years, and I thoroughly love my job as a pediatrician. This was really fun. Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy and thanks for being flexible about my weather mishaps yesterday. <laughs> no, absolutely. Not not a problem. Okay. Uh, when I told my kids that we couldn't do this because you were snowed in, they were aghast that there was that much snow in a part of the country. So it was fun laugh. And it's really crazy around here. And you are familiar with this being from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Just the drifts just get so big. It's like In the corner of my house, I have probably a 14-foot snow, like where we throw the snow. Mm -hmm. And then um, the wind whips in and then it just kind of circles here. So right behind my car, I backed up and I like literally backed into a a huge snow drift and my husband was at home. And then the mishap of the, I didn't know that snow plows could get a flat tire, but, or snow blowers, Mm -hmm. they can. Yeah, I never knew that either. So that is hilarious. Wow. Well, have a good weekend, Kevin. Thank you so much. Um, when this comes together, we will give it to you. And if Angel Kids wants to put it out there, we will give. The first thing to talk about is why a pediatrician? And I think that pediatricians are, first of all, focused on kids, right? And so when you become a parent, you your life changes, and then now you're focused on kids, and finding uh, somebody who's also focused on kids, I think, is really, really important. There, when you go to medical school, you, there are about 90% of people that could care less about kids or don't want to deal with kids, and those other 10% become pediatricians. And so they innately have a, inherently have a focus on kids and their lives and are drawn to pediatrics. And so having that level of focus in your physician leads to more investment into the patient and doctor relationship. Now, when you have that a newborn or a young child, that obviously they're not going to have the same sort of relationship. So you're also then buying into a parent relationship. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, then you want to have a relationship with your physician where you feel like you can develop a rapport, not just a rapport, but a longstanding relationship. And so that continuity is really important, not only from a parent's perspective of being able to get to know somebody, get to trust them, value their opinion, not just the facts that they get from doing the research, but also what have they seen and what is their opinion on that. And that sort of interpretation is what makes that's having that doctor relationship still very valuable. So 
no matter how much Dr. Google is out there and spits out information, you're still looking for that connection, right? We're, we're looking mm-hmm. for that connection. And when you find a pediatrician that fits with your parenting style and is able to uh, make that connection, that builds that long-lasting relationship. And so for me, when I am, my ideal patient is going to be a family that will want to continue to see me, have that continuity, and then we can continue to guide and watch your kids grow over the years. And so it's really that bond forms in the first two years because there's so much growth and development that goes on. Uh, and there's like 12 roundless visits that you typically come and see your doctor for. And then you establish that relationship and a level of trust between both the pediatrician as well as the parents. And so, you know, if I get a phone call from a parent who is uh, worried about their child and I know them, then we can talk about not only about their kid, but oh, you know what, amoxicillin fails for you. So let's go ahead and start this antibiotic first because that's what your family does versus when you go and you see somebody that's at the clinic or if you hop around, then they're always going to choose one over the other. And so it's really, it's more rewarding for me because then I also get to see that family grow and not just parents with their comfort and their skills, but also the children, of course, and, and get to see them develop and grow too and be happy when they develop their first smile and are where they're taking their first steps and stuff like that. So that's that rewarding part of it, even from a physician perspective. And so when you have that relationship with your pediatrician, then they're embarking on that together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that valuable relationship is what most people are seeking when they try and get a pediatric, develop a relationship with the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And then once you get have multiple kids, then that same uh, provider doctor is able to to assess your next child and get to know the family. And that's I think that relationship goes a lot further than just, hey, I'm sick. It's more like developmentally, like what's going on at the home and and then even like in education and things, aren't you? Do you call it relationship medicine more so than like acute non-urgent I just take care of reading your sick. So I think it's uh, it's good medicine, whatever you put on it, right? So yeah. if, when you go see your doctor, you want somebody that knows you. You want somebody that, oh, yeah, we did this and we tried that. And I know you feel this way. So let's look at these options instead. And that forms a better relationship. You're right. And when you have multiple children, when the second or the third one comes along, you know, your first two kids are allergic to milk. So let's go ahead and jump on this right away. Or let's mm-hmm. say that we had a speech delay. Let's make sure that we're promoting uh, speech development in this fashion, okay? Or, you know, we're going to jump on top of seeing the ENT for your ear tubes sooner rather than later because of that family history. And so I think that that's a very valuable way to approach medicine, particularly in the family. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. So let's jump to um, sore throats and looking at the symptoms of sore throats that you see in in kids. Can you start with really what are you seeing the causes, why you get a sore throat and what can it be? Okay. So sore throats is a common complaint for kids. And obviously when they're younger, you don't necessarily hear them saying, Lonnie, I have a sore throat. It's their food refusal, they uh, not wanting to eat. You know, and then you're sort of guessing at that point. But, you know, I think I was reading about 10 to 25 percent of visits can be because of a sore throat. And so looking at what things are common and what things aren't common is an important way to approach that as far as what your investigation might be. 
when someone comes in for a sore throat, the vast majority of these are going to be viral in nature. And so a viral sore throat is something that, for the most part, the body's going to take care of in a couple of days. The body is exposed to the virus, it develops an immune response, and then antibodies that it creates helps destroy the infection. And so in those situations, it's really just supportive care as the body does its job. And so, you know, pain relievers, make sure that you're getting adequate hydration, maybe softer foods or even ice cream at times for someone to keep not only their blood sugar up, but also to keep them well hydrated for the illness. When it comes to viruses, there's a whole boatload of them. And so when you have that, identifying the specific virus isn't as much of a help because you don't necessarily change your plan of care associated with the viral infection. Now, if you have, let's say, mono, mononucleosis is a, is a viral syndrome caused by several different viruses, but it can cause a sore throat. And that sore throat then isn't as much of the concern as the body-wide illness that mono causes. And so having a test for mono is important because then you can anticipate two or three weeks of extreme fatigue or body-wide pain, liver swelling, avoiding contact spurts, that sort of thing. And so... With having that as a diagnosis becomes it becomes important to differentiate that between other sore throats and not. And so when someone presents with a sore throat, then you may also want to ask other questions about whether that's going to make it potentially more severe or not. And so when you approach a sore, someone who comes in for a sore throat, one of the questions you're going to ask is, uh, do they have a fever? All right. If a fever is implicated, then we're thinking about some sort of infectious agent. All right. You can have a sore throat because you're teething. You can have a sore throat because you have allergies and post-nasal drip. You could have been mouth breathing all night and you have a dry throat. So none of those are going to cause a fever. And so you can then start to shift your differential diagnosis when we're looking at a sore throat to something that's more infectious oriented or maybe something that may be having more of an environmental cause, which doesn't necessarily detract from whether or not you need to address it. But it does tend to shift your th mode of thinking to, is this something that I might investigate further or something that I'm going to think of pursuing in a different fashion? Okay. So like if you have a, like where we are, it's very dry. And if you wake up with a scratchy throat, you would recommend a humidifier or something to, to just bring more moisture into the air. Exactly right. You know, in the wintertime, since the moisture comes out of the air, you're going to see that a humidifier can be very helpful overnight. You get up, you drink a glass of water, you feel better. That's what a lot of people will do when you grow up in the Midwest. So it's because it gets so dry and clip. That's a very common way to approach it. But, you know, what if it continues? Mm -hmm. If it continues, then that's when you start asking yourself, could this be due to something else? All right. Mm -hmm. So if we have a fever, that's when it's like, oh, okay, this there's something that's giving us this fever that's making us sick. Exactly right. Yeah. So there's so a fever just doesn't happen because there's some sort of pathogen involved. And so when you have that infectious agent, then oftentimes then you start looking at, okay, what do we think that this is? All right. When you have a sore throat that's associated with the fever then you would think that it might be a viral illness. It might be a bacterial illness, okay? It might be a more a global upper respiratory illness that also causes a sore throat. So do we have congestion, runny nose, cough associated with that or not, okay? If we have an infection that affects the throat directly, such as strep or is such as adenovirus, then that's going to not cause those other symptoms. If you have the flu, then you may experience more global symptoms, 
fever, sore throat, body aches, that sort of thing. And so asking about other symptoms can also help you differentiate where you might think that this fever and sore throat may be coming from. And so that's all part of the questions that you're asking when you come in for a visit to see whether or not the history is going to guide you to your decision making. How long should you wait until you are actually seen? What do you recommend there? So the standard was two to three days that you should wait to be seen. But in, in medicine, there's no absolutes, right? And so mm-hmm. what you, you do is they teach you to look at the patient, okay? How is the patient acting? Is the patient having difficulty breathing? Is the patient not able to tolerate any oral intake? Is the patient having excessive drooling associated with the sore throat and fever? Do they have a swollen neck mass or a lymph node that's causing that to happen? So if we are sleepy to the point where we are difficult to arouse. These are all reasons that would make you seek medical care sooner. Now, if let's say you go to a birthday party and Billy has struck throat and you find out later and you come in and you wake up on Monday with a sore throat and a fever, that exposure is going to make you come in sooner because you're going to want to know if it's struck throat or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. If that exposure could be mean that, hey, it's within the incubation time period of one to five days and that you might have struck death. So that's going to make you come in sooner rather than later than the two to three days. So it's really about how the patient is acting. Now, this is where that relationship comes in. As a parent, you know your child best, okay? And if your mother's spider sense is going off, this isn't right, something's off with my child, then that's a really important piece of information. And so, you know, maybe the symptoms are pretty mild, but we're just not acting right. I think something's wrong. That's an important bit of information to pay attention to. The caregiver's impression of their child can account for up to 50% of the diagnosis that you're making. And so it's an important thing to listen to that family member. And that's where that relationship comes in, because if you're just looking at a clinic and you're seeing people wrap through, you're not going to know that that's an important bit of information, okay? And so let's say you're not an alarmist, you don't cry with, but something's really bothering you about your child, you can't quite put your finger on it. Now, that's going to make me raise an eyebrow. I want you to come in and do an evaluation sooner than not, okay? Mm -hmm. And so there's a distinct value to having that relationship to be in order to be able to pay attention to that bit of information as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So if mom suspects strep or dad suspects strep, what is strep versus a viral infection? Okay. So that's a, it's a really good question to ask because strep is, strep biogenes is a bacterial infection. And as a bacteria, it can have several distinct differences associated with a viral infection. A viral infection elicits that immune response. We develop antibodies to that and the antibodies attack that virus. And for the most part, it's very effective. Strep is a bacterial infection, which produces exotoxins. And those toxins are um, very difficult to deal with from the body's perspective. And so identifying whether or not an infection is strep would then initiate treatment with antibiotics. And so antibiotics don't treat viruses. They don't help with a viral infection, but they certainly can treat bacterial infections. And a strep infection could be very readily treated with antibiotics if it's identified. Mm-hmm. You can go online and have see a telemedicine provider and they'll give you a prescription for an antibiotic by just looking in the throat. What would your advice be on that type of treatment plan for if a parent was like, I don't know if it's strep or not. Is it just the best thing to just get the antibiotic? So that's a good question as well. There is, I think it's really 
poor medicine. I mean, if we were all snowed in and we couldn't go anywhere, that might be an option for you. Mm -hmm. But not every red throat is strep. And in fact, most people would say most red throats are going to be viral in nature versus strep. And when we talk about the use of antibiotics to treat strep, if we can't identify what it is, then we're using antibiotics too much. And there's a lot of good evidence that talks about overutilization of antibiotics and how it breeds bacterial resistance. And we talk about being judicious about the use of antibiotics so that we don't breed superbugs that are going to be resistant to antibiotics. And so as a, they call it being having antimicrobial stewardship. And so you want to make sure that you are then using your discretion on who you're going to be using antibiotics for. So when we're trying to determine if somebody has strep or not, it is better medicine, and I would argue far better medicine, to try and determine if it is strep or not through some sort of testing versus just visual inspection. Yes, we all have read the clinical presentation of strep. We know that you get a red throat. We know that you can have exudate on your tonsils, but so can many other viruses. And that's why it's not just using your clinical skills that will help with that. Excellent. Thank you. That is really informative for, I think, lots and lots of parents and individuals as well. Doing the test allows you to change and modify your plan of care for something that can benefit the patient. And so I think that that's a really important factor when it can, you consider any testing for that matter. And so um, I think that that's a, one of the reasons why we strep test so much is because it will definitely change your plan of care and change the course for the patient. That's a great point. So strep testing is actionable yes. in clinic for a provider to make a decision one way or another. Right. And so given that bit of information, it's also actionable when you get that test result in the home environment. So you go at home, you do a COVID test, you know that you should call your doctor and get the medication or you should get steroids or you should fill your inhaler. So that means that that positive test result changed your plan of care and what you would do. And with strep, we know that, yes, we feel better in 12 hours. Yes, we're not infectious. We can still go to the birthday party with Barry over the weekend. But it also then allows us to then say, okay, hey, now I need to seek out some additional intervention. So it makes that you act on it. And so, and it can change your plan of care. That's the bit of information that I wanted to get about across that I did not for strep testing for that matter. And so the benefit for a parent of having that strep test at home is, do I go in to, and to see the, my provider or am I going to watchfully wait these symptoms out at home? Exactly. Um, yeah. And so, you know, do can I do I have to bring them in to get seen to get antibiotics? Do I uh, have to call into work? Do I um, need my child to stay at home? And do I or can I stay at home and manage them and do work from home? So, how you act on that changes because you do the test, and so your plan of care changes. Yeah, there's a there's a tremendous amount of value there for the parent for sure. Yes. We can make make a decision on how to move forward. This was a really great use of time for me. Dr. Kasich, thank you so much for being a guest on the Checkable Health Podcast. We can tell you are very passionate about your practice. And to all those parents out there, I recommend finding a pediatrician that has this type of lean in, I want to take care of your family and I want the best for them type of mentality. That is very, very obvious and clear that you like what you do. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. All right. 
And I do like what I do. And I thank you for what you're doing. Well, you're very welcome. Now, I'll let you get on to your day so you can see the rest of your patients and um, have a wonderful weekend with your family. All right. You as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Checkable Health Podcast. If you want more information, head over to CheckableHealth.com for show notes, links, and resources mentioned in today's podcast please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to get all of the Checkable Health at-home healthcare details as soon as they're released. Find us on every social channel at Checkable Health. Cheers to living your healthiest and happiest life.